I, I'm curious, and, and now we can add astronaut to the long list of accomplishments for both of you, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that this is a lifelong dream now realized, uh, the success of this mission, what does that mean for you, and what does it also mean for this company that you have built and funded, Blue Origin? Well, this, so this is, the, this is the first step. This is a tiny little step of what Blue Origin is going to do. And what we're really trying to do is build reusable space vehicles. It's the only way to build a road to space. And we need to build a road to space so that our children can build the future. And what that's all about is we, this planet, and you can see it. When we're up there, you see how tiny this planet's atmosphere is. You know, here it seems big. You look around, it's all around you, and it's support, but it's really the small thing supporting all life. So, so we need to take all polluting industry, all heavy industry, and move it off Earth. This is going to take many decades. But that's what we can do if we have reusable space vehicles. And so this, is, this suborbital tourism mission lets us practice that. So we need to do that over and over and over and get as good at running space vehicles as we are as a civilization at running commercial airliners. And then we can have you know, this dynamic civilization of the future, a better world for all of our kids. And, uh, and then I also I want to thank uh, every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer, because you guys paid for all of this. <laughs> so seriously, for every Amazon customer out there and every Amazon employee, thank you from the bottom of my heart very much. Uh, it's very appreciated. Well, for me, it's just it's stunning, really, that you have these two billionaires Right, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos is basically like they're in a it, it kind of reminds me of like the uh, uh, race for space between the United States and USSR. Right. So it's right. like they're just trying to outdo one another. It's like we already <laughs> did know, this shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no shit. But I think it's the commercialization of it, which is intriguing people. Not not me, of course. You know, I, I yeah. agree with the other folks. We have more important things down here to worry about than going to outer space and reaching Mars. And the funny thing about that is that they've already started dividing up Mars. They haven't even been on there, right? No, no one's even been on it. But you got, uh, uh, oh, what's the name? Uh, Tesla. Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk. Thank you, sir. Uh -huh. Now, he's talking about actually going up there and, like, exploding, because, you know, they have a lot of uh, ice up there, exploding that, getting that water, and bringing it back here. I mean, yeah. we're not even there yet. And we never will be, but we're not even there. And already, you're talking about destroying the damn planet. That's yeah. just how insane all this is. Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, I mean, obviously, the, the original, like, talking about the USSR and the United States, the space race between those two, you know, those were governments, right? And, you, and it was an ideological war between the two. And it was like, let's compete and see who can... Is communism going to bring about the first man in space or is it going to be the, you know, capitalist United States or whatever? And it's just like, but at least on that level, there was a sense. I don't know how much you feel this way, but like there was a sense like everyone kind of. It feel like this was a step for mankind, kind of a collective, there was a collective sense to the accomplishment, even if it is bullshit, but there was a sense of that at the time. Like, wow, we really accomplished something collectively yeah. here. 
And then, and, and it was obvious because, you know, we were using tax money to, to do that. It was like obviously publicly funded research that got us on the moon. But, but now it's like all that public funding has now been diverted, not all of it, but obviously that base of, of technology has been developed and now you have private companies or private um, you know, CEOs like Bezos and Musk and Richard Branson going on their space, going on their own little space race and deciding like this is the next yeah. phase of, 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 of space exploration is it's going to be the hands of billionaires um and their motivations are not this like i don't know uh, this idealized like we're all going to collectively benefit from this it's like no we're we're gonna go in and we're gonna mine asteroids and we're gonna divide up mars and you know move our factories up to space like weird shit. Like that was like one of the first things Bezos said when he got back, like they were being interviewing him and he was like, yeah, it was so beautiful up there. The atmosphere is so small. And he was just like having this like, you know, beautiful experience. And he's like, that's why we have to put all of our, you know, heavy polluting uh, factory production up in space so we can save the planet. And I'm just like, well, who's going to own the <laughs> factories, dude? Like, it's, it's, so, oh, God. it's so weird. It's very, very weird. I don't know. No, but yeah. it's the suspicion from reality though right like you actually think that you can achieve this i yeah. mean this is a god complex on another level to be quite honest with you uh-huh. you actually think you can barely make it down here on this earth now it's impossible but people aren't thinking about the infrastructure you would have to establish on mars for people to actually inhabit it but getting still right. you tell that to these young folks especially just giving them a pipe dream but people are, are, a lot of people believe in that, though. They think that if we, if we are so close to being like Star Trek and, you know, going to the great beyond and going past Pluto and all this other stuff. I'm like, how can you be that delusional? <laughs> but these guys, I mean, they sell them this because, I mean, Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, you know what was funny? I'm sure you guys saw when he was at the press conference, he was crying and he said, I thank all like my employees for doing this because y'all paid for it, right? And I'm like, yeah. damn, that's that's like, and I, I I I hate to equate it to this because with the whole coronavirus thing, people have gone off the board as far as a mask being assigned that they're a slave, right? That 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 just irks me to to death. But getting still, it did it did remind me of like somebody going to a plantation saying, I want to thank all you slaves out there for. <laughs> for providing me this big ass man, it's exactly it. Carriage. <laughs> I was like, God damn! And how dense are you that you don't even see that? All right. Oh yeah, it's on a whole other level, fellas. Oh, oh my god, that's true though. I mean, it's it's like that's he sounded like the detached uh, plantation owner in that press yeah. conference after you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, he's like, I I couldn't have done this without all you factory workers and all of you customers. You know, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish this. And it's like, well, good for fucking you, dude. Like, yeah. how like <laughs> dense and uh, detached are you from? How tone deaf do you have to be uh-huh. to make that statement with a straight face? Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, I actually watched the whole thing because I, I got, I didn't expect to. I wasn't meaning to, but I woke up that morning and went out mm-hmm. to make coffee, and my mom had the uh, Today Show playing and they were like we're 
Bezos is going to be going to space in just a few moments. And I'm like, oh, God. So I watched the whole thing, you know. And, and the way the media was talking about it, they were just eating that shit up. They were so yep. happy to talk about it. They were like, yep. this is so good. This is like, what does this mean for us in the future of, of mankind? And, um, and you know, they even said it pretty pretty clearly that, this is really just, they didn't say it's, well, not, not so clearly, but they alluded to the fact that within 10 years, this is just going to be a huge industry, you know, and um, it's going to cost however many hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy a ticket, and then they'll take you up to space. Um, I mean, his, <laughs> his spaceship, he looks like a giant dick, which is hilarious, <laughs> right. first of all, that's worth saying. <laughs> But the design makes sense in the way because it, the bottom part's the rocket. The shaft is just the rocket. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the the head, the head is like this, like, it's like four people in there, right? And they all have these big windows that they're looking out of. And like, once they reach the upper atmosphere, it the the top part breaks off. And so then the rocket, the thruster part goes down to earth and lands and it's reusable while the top part is like able to float up there for a little while and then descends through with some parachutes. And I'm like, that was completely, that wasn't designed to do anything other than just observe and to look out over the, you know, the, the curvature right. basically. Um, yeah. It, it was just weird. Cause it, it's, it's just, but then he gave like a hundred million dollars to Van Jones and some other dude. I was like, Holy shit. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But let's face it, fellas. That's like me giving somebody fifty cent, right? Right. (laughs) Throwing somebody some quarters, some loose change. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) You're good. Oh Oh, man. You know what I like? I like the most though is listening to Bezos talk. Have you heard him talk that much before? Like, actually heard him speak? Yeah. He doesn't. He just sounds. I don't know. Dead I, inside. Yeah, well, I just look at these people and they're not like that intelligent. They're not that articulate. No. Oh. He sold books. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's what Amazon was. He sold fucking books. The other exactly. guy sold records. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. It just spits in the face of the idea of it being like a meritocracy and that this is mm-hmm. all earned. Everyone earned this. I don't know. It was... Very weird, very weird times. And then, you know, all of this is happening while we're having like just everything that's been happening, just, right. uh, just insanity down here on earth. And uh, it feels like it does feel very dystopian. Um, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like my, my partner <laughs> bought me a novel. Um, I haven't read a novel in a while, but I, I read it pretty, pretty quickly. It was, um, Par- Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. It was kind of one of these like dystopian novels. It was written in the 90s. And it's pretty no- well known for being really accurate as far as like mm-hmm. what is happening, basically. Like there's, you know, climate change is a part of it. Communities are breaking down. There's like a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the beginning, they have an astronaut that died while going to mars so you have like this thing where everything on earth is going to shit and they're still going out and exploring space and i'm like that just everything in the book was very close to home it was kind of freaky was that astronaut matt damon though 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no. He, no. He just science the fuck out of this and got himself back to Earth by growing potatoes right. in a hoop house. Oh my there god. You go. dude. I can't believe that he, movie. He had a plan. <laughs> so he had a plan. I'm gonna science yeah. the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Born Jason Bourne gets back to Earth. I know he did it. <laughs> oh I mean, but god. I think that's a big big part of why people have this uh God complex. You know, I'll be yeah. totally honest with you guys, man. I mean, I never liked science fiction, even though I'm an engineer and I work in math. And I realized a few years ago why that was the case, because my dad didn't like science fiction, because it's the unreality of it, right? It's selling right. people like that, because when I look at stuff like, well, that's impossible. You know, I get it from a resource base. I think about what it would take to, you know, go to the speed of light and all this. I'm like, this this is impossible. So I've always, like, I watched a lot of science shows when I was growing up. I always still do. But I I never, like, it's the fictional part of it. And the, and the sad part is that people are believing the fiction. They actually think that that is achievable. Yeah. I, it, 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 it saddens me. Be quite honest yeah. with you. Now you're the you're the ruiner of fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, well, anymore, man. I mean, it really yeah. fast. I remember when Mike, this was because Mike has known me longer than you, Patrick. So he's seen me yeah. go through all the ups and downs and peaks and valleys of coming <laughs> to terms with all this. He he even said it one time in an interview. I'm like, damn. He he laid me out, bare my soul. He's like, man, I've seen you go through all this. Over the past few years, this cathartic and excruciating experience of, of reaching a point where you know we're done, right? And now I'm just a lot more at peace, right? So I don't get upset too much anymore. And I'll be totally honest with you guys. And this is even not directed at my ex-wife, but in her realm, she has kids. I don't, right? You know, I decided I'm not gonna have kids, and you know, that's something that's gonna be a burden for me to bear to the end of my day. Cause I was like, well. It was fucked up for my dad. It's been fucked up for me in some ways, but I wanted to like have a kid and be like, man, all of our strengths, none of our weaknesses, and this, that, and other. Although you can't protect the kid from himself, you know, like they're gonna be what they're gonna be in this world, like all of us. But yet, still, I wanted to to do that. But then once I realized that this thing is about to go off the rails, probably for the time <laughs> I'm I'm like right. sixty or sixty-five, I say, nah, I'm cool with that. But I did wake up to this one realization in my life. I can't say for anybody else. I can't worry about the world more than people with kids when they have everything to lose. And ultimately, my decision to not have a child, I have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. right? Right. I can't I can't do that. Not when, oh, well, shit, I mean, it, I mean, I, even my ex-wife, I will say that, man. It seems like it's just so flippant. Like, well, I can't do nothing about it, so don't worry about it. No, yeah. you know, you're not worried about it because you you really want to keep going until you die and not have to think about it. Yeah. Right? You you want to reach 60 or 70, but oh well, I'm gone, kids that you know, because you don't want to look in the eyes of somebody that you know that you failed. I mean, all this bullshit they tell you about go to college, go to college, get some money and this, that, and the other. You know, that's not the answer to anything it is that we have going on. But it's when you do tell people that, or I have told people that with kids and <laughs> I've either gotten like, well, I can't do nothing about it, or this is the most uh, disgusting thing of all. And this is with a lot of parents, especially in middle-class white America. They like, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah. They're just saying, I mean, I've looked into the eyes, people that go to church every Sunday and we break it down and you look them in their eye and they got no answer for you. Like, man, I really don't give a fuck. 
I'm gonna get mine and whatever happens, happens. He's my best friend. He has a son. I never forget. I never forget what well, my former best friend, he said, we were talking about something uh, as far as the environment was concerned. And he has a young son, Caleb. And he just, he was like, he said, it was very strange. He said, uh, he laughed and he said, it's gonna suck for, for Caleb in a few years. Yeah. I mean, but people don't see that as the face of evil, right? This dude has a job, he goes to the, but, and this is my best friend since grade school, but I see, to be quite honest with you, we're not friends anymore because that was the detachment, stuff like that, right? You know, like, well, yeah. I'm concerned about this and you really don't care. So, uh, but uh, I let you guys chime in, but that's all I was going to say, man. You know, I, I can't, I can't concern myself for a world when people who have kids and grandkids now, because I'm 48, they don't, they don't care. They really don't, man. So, and yeah, it breaks my heart. Go ahead. I don't know if it's a consideration. Any like, is it a consideration? Like, do people? I know people obviously who live who are very comfortable. You know, specifically in this country, I, I, I don't think the state of the world ever crosses their mind about bringing in, you know, another life and having another life go through 70, 80 years of what could potentially be. I think a lot of people who have comfort. Um, and, um, and privilege, they just want kids. They, that's what I want one. It's, I want a little replica. I want one of these. And it's like, it's like anything else that I want. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. And, you know, I'm not really thinking about the consequences. I know for sure my nieces who are like 25 and 22 are thinking about having kids in the next five years. And, you know, they're very intelligent women they're highly academic, but my question is like, is there some sort of, oh, I don't know. Is, is there any sort of wisdom about thinking about what's happening right now and you are going to try and not only raise a child in it, but I mean, what, what sort of future is there? And I get it. You know, people just write, write it off. You know, oh, Mike's a fatalist and da-da-da-da, he's a doomer. But like, I think in the last year and a half to two years, guys like myself and the two of you and Jeff and others, we don't look as crazy as we did a year and a half ago. <laughs> no, no. And, yeah. and so I, I'm going to ask people that are, I, I, I have in the past a little bit, but I'm going to be more, more like, you know, you're, so you're going to have kids and like, I'm, you know, why? I, I'm just curious, like, why are you, why are you considering doing that? And a lot of times people, th their answer is because I want to, I want one. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. Why do you want one? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I just, it's like, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll speak personally. I have a, an ex that, uh, who is well, I don't, have, I don't want to say it too much. I'll just say that, that one of the main reasons why the relationship didn't work, there were several big reasons. Mm -hmm. I've grown a lot. I'll just say that, uh, personally speaking, in the past few years. But one of the things was my, my hesitancy around not having, or around having children. Like, I just didn't know if I could or should have a child or we should have a child. And I think it broke her heart on a certain level because it was something that she really, really wanted. Yeah. yeah, it was just like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't, I, I, I like, this is where I'm at with it. Cause I know people like I have siblings that are, that have had children. Obviously I'm an uncle. I have friends that are having kids whom I love very much. Um, I, I will never 
I don't know. I, I personally speaking, I'll never go up to them and say, why did you choose to do this or anything like that? I just look at them and I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, cause, cause I try to imagine what I would feel if I had a child right now with yeah. everything going on and like how, how I would feel, how I would feel and what my child would feel. Cause I don't know if y'all can remember what it was like being a child when certain things start to click or like the world starts to like come into form for you. Like the, the, the strangeness and ambiguity and the mystery of the world starts to become like defined and you start to understand like what it is. And when I was a kid, I wasn't worried about climate change. I wasn't worried about any of this stuff because it wasn't as uh, pressing at that time. But like now I mean, what do you tell a kid like if they're looking at what's going on and, and they're in some part of the world and it's just, it just feels so like obviously people are stressed out about it and kids pick up on that. And I would just feel really like how how would I how could I possibly raise a child in that environment and not feel like I am I don't know what to do with that. Like, I, it's just it's just a lot. It's it would. It, sorry, I don't even <laughs> there's not really words for it. It's it's. It's hard. It's sad because I do think, like Forrest, you've talked about this. You know, it's like one of the regrets you have. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it's something you definitely have thought about that you wish you could have done, which is have a child. Um, and I have a similar feeling, which is I would love to, but I can't change what's happening right now on the planet. And yeah. I would feel a lot of feelings that would be very hard to work with if I did have a child right now. And I would feel very sad about that. And um, yeah. and it's only going to get worse. You know, this isn't a, just a bump in the road. I think a lot of people pass it off as that. I think that's how they make sense of it. They're like, this will kind of be worked out or we'll figure it out. We'll adapt. And um, <laughs> I don't know if we will. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, don't I have know we faith. won't. Yeah. All right. I know we won't. I mean, after the Rona thing, any any delusions that anyone has that, this society specifically, because we're the ones that like, spend of a third of our dollars on consuming, 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 and that's what you consider happiness. Uh, the last thing that we're going to do is be at the forefront of whatever's going to happen and as far as people trying to survive. This mm -hmm. place, anything we've learned over the past four years with Trump and everything else, we are as divided as ever. All right? Yeah. That's it. Now, I will say this about having a child. And I think that I know for me, it was this. It's the unconditional love of it. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, indicative of my, my life, uh, you know, I, my father disappeared. Then I got a letter 30 years later. Boom, the dude just died, convalescence home in Los Angeles. So I went back there. Then I found out all about his life, everything that was going on, everything. And uh, I went to the morgue. And you can't go touch the body. They roll it into like a little viewing area, right? And you're behind his glass. And so I hadn't seen this cat in 30 years. So I remember just looking. When they rolled my I said, damn, that's, that's my dad. That's him. And you know, I was like, but then I, I don't think I cried too much at that juncture. I just... <sighs> Cause it was me, my ex-wife, and then uh, the lady that was his like point of contact on the outside world to like, see about him and said, come visit him or whatever. And uh, I just went, sat at a bench and I 
put my hand. I said, I said, how did this happen? I said, how did this happen? But then when I had enough time to think about it, I really wasn't saying, how did this happen? I was thinking, how did I let this happen? Right? Because mm-hmm. I still love the guy. I didn't hate him. I, I mean, I, the best parts of my personality. The only reason I'm sitting here talking with you guys is because of him. Right? Because mm-hmm. I definitely did not get it from my mother. Now, I love my mother, but she was not a conscious individual in any way, shape, or form. But I tell anybody this, and I'm not saying I'm smart me or what I am, my intelligence level or anything like that. But if anybody does think that I'm smart, he was a hell of a lot smarter than me. And my ego is so big. I can't name any cats it is I work with or talk with. This, that, Even the gentleman I'm talking with on his phone to say, hey, man, that cat's smarter than me. He got, he got, hey, listen to that dude, this, that, and the other. So it's that unconditional love, I think, that people are looking for. Because when you have to be a real piece of crap, a real piece of crap for your kid to hate you. You have to be the worst individual in the world because children always look towards their parents and love them. Even when they do stuff that's wrong. I mean, like they maybe maybe they got a, a, a drug addiction or whatever it may be. You're still going to love them. You're still gonna love it, and, and and vice versa. You know, like it's hard for a mother to to uh, give up uh, uh, her kid if he's going to jail. I mean, you know, they might have evidence that somebody's a mass murderer. Mama's still gonna be there. Oh, I don't think he was guilty. I think, <laughs> I think somebody <laughs> planted some evidence on him on the whole nine. So that's a rarity in life. But to have that and know you always have it is something that you you want to continue to uh, the day that you leave this earth. So for me, but I will say this, and then I'll let you guys interject. Uh, I did realize the best gift I could ever give my child is to not have him or her. That's the best gift in this world. But we got to go. That's the best gift. So that's my ultimate sign of love, because I I would not have a kid for anything other than selfish reasons, Mm -hmm. but not to the betterment of that individual. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's such a, it's, and I think this just speaks to, I mean, obviously biologically we're wired. I mean, it's, it's a deep thing. Like we try to rationalize it, but we're just, we're, we want to have children because that's what makes sense evolutionarily. And people have had children through the worst eras of human history of human existence. I mean, there have been catastrophic events that have happened. There has been war, um, you know, all of this and people continue to have children. Right. Mm. And I think that speaks to the resilience of the human species, but also the scale of the, the scale of this crisis we're in today is unlike anything we've experienced in any time in, history throughout the existence of our species. I mean, it, it, and I think that that's just the way it is. And I think we have to take that into account. Um, this isn't just some global war or this isn't some volcanic eruption or something, you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's worse than all of that. So, Oh yeah. It, it is. Global. I think it, it's a strange <laughs> it's a global thing. Phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. It is a strange thing. I mean, it took me a second for me to register what you were saying, Forrest, that that your act of love towards your child was to not have them. 
it took me a second to figure out what you were saying because I was like, that doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. You know, um, yeah. But that's the kind of thinking I, mean, what, I think what, that's we're lacking is right. people are not having those inner dialogues to that depth, um, you know, in a time that is um, really on, you know, catastrophe globally. Um, I don't think people are delving deep enough about those decisions like Forrest has. And, you know, like it's not just about me and what I want. Um, this is about a life and I'm bringing a life into something that is, it's already incredibly difficult. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm not going to be here for all of it, you know, protect or give, um, you know, guidance to, um, what's ever coming possibly for this individual. And, uh, so yeah. And, and uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the, 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 our DNA or the nature within us, I, it's weird because and maybe this is my wife and I have never, you know, prior to meeting and after we met, never had that. I want to have a child urge <laughs> either yeah. of us. Mm -hmm. um, it's an, it's an interesting thing for me when I hear it in other people and hear the reasoning behind it, because I've never had that, you know, and it wasn't, I probably would have had kids with other, a, a woman who'd wanted kids because I would have been just like, well, I guess that's what we do. Um, mm -hmm. But Karen and it really at the, the line we had for years was we just really liked our life a lot mm -hmm. where we didn't really want to change it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of just came out in a way where it's um, now I'm like, well, that, that probably was a good move for us. Um, it allowed us yeah. to do a bunch of things. <laughs> we really end up out here. Um, I don't, I, I can't imagine we would have ended up on this path if we would have had children. Yeah. And it's, it's more difficult to do. I talk to people all the time who, you know, want to do what we do, but you know, oh, they have kids. And I tell people there are kids, you know, there's been kids raised on this property. There's been kids born on this property. It, it's possible, but it's a lot more difficult than what I've done. That's for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> no. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'll interject this real fast. Um, as far as like giving somebody some information and then they will take it and then try and make a good life decisions, we're, we're, we're not capable of that. This society isn't capable of that. You know, I mean, you've heard right. it from both. both I, I'm talking about specifically America. I mean, you've heard, you've heard everybody from George H.W. Uh, Bush to, to Barack Obama over here who said, like, we are an exceptional people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just been ingested in Americans of whatever race, creed, class, whatever it is. We feel like we are just the exceptional people. Yeah. You could take you could take the most the cat that's in, in the most underclass place here in America and you send them any place else on this planet and they are going to act arrogant towards whatever. I don't give a damn if it's France, I don't give a damn if it's Africa, whatever continent or country is you talk about. Nobody acts more arrogant around other folks than Americans. True. Right? I don't damn who it is. In fact, um, I remember Gail, Gail King, right? She's uh, Oprah, Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey's uh, best friend. Oh, yeah. She was like, she just, she said, uh, uh, in defending Jeff Bezos, she said, I love people trying to tell him how to spend his own money. <laughs> yeah. You understand? So yeah. That's so what I'm saying. That's just a collective American thing. Yeah. You know, don't tread on us. 
So <laughs> no one's going to tell us what to do. There's a guy I just, I, I couldn't help but laugh because uh, I, I listen to a lot of stuff on YouTube, news, audiobooks, and, and the whole nine. And uh, uh, like if you have an autoplay on YouTube, it'll just go through like the next thing up, go, 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 go. Anyhow, I heard, I heard a guy being interviewed for CBS News who's in the hospital right now with the coronavirus, right? COVID-19. He said that if, if he had been able to take the vaccine and knew that he would not go to the hospital and knew it would have saved him that, he said he, he still wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> this dude was on death's doorstep. And yeah. even then, they said, he said, the dude, the, the interview, I, I know he's, he had his mask on when he was interviewing, but I, I know he was looking at me like, this is the dumbest son of a bitch in the motherfucking world. <laughs> it's such that is such an American attitude, though. The way yeah. that I am not even white American attitude specifically, and you can't you can't rationalize with somebody like that. So when it comes to like having kids, you're not gonna tell me that's the way. It is. You're not gonna tell me what to do. You're not gonna tell me what, I'm free. We've heard that a lot over the past year, right? I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to. I'm free. Uh, okay, you're free. I, I, I see more people uh, uh, who are more happy being stupid than anything else. Forget freedom, just like just not having any type of intelligence whatsoever. So when it comes to kids or the environment, people already have their minds made up as to how this is going to go. Be it, uh, uh, I don't go to church anymore, but you know, like when when I was a kid, they used to tell me that really fast. Jesus was going to come back, right? Jesus, mm -hmm. everybody that's saved. When the rapture happens, he's gonna come get everybody that's saved, and all the rest of these wretched souls are gonna be left on this earth. Now, I'm that's not us. a religious man. That's my point. That's what I'm about to say. Like, if he ain't come back by now, he ain't coming right. back. Because right. we're in the throes of it right now, right? So, so yeah, I'm waiting for the rapture where you have all these free sweaters and pants laying around and shit. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a giant thrift store, Planet Earth Rift. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I will just let me say one thing. I will say one one thing that we all can agree upon. If the rapture did happen and they grabbed up all the people who think that they saved, we might have a chance of saving the world. Uh, amen. A fucking man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I just want to add to what you're saying. Uh, what you were saying, Forrest. So I, I uh, on I know you're not on Facebook because you got kicked off again for a temporary amount yeah. of time. Sorry about that. Um, I was all good. Yeah. I'm the cooler king of Facebook. Steam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but Jeffrey St. Clair posted, uh, it was Biden's secretary, uh, press secretary, Jen Zaki. She had her comment on Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin. And she said, the United States is the first country to have private companies taking private individuals to space. This is a moment of American exceptionalism. That's how we. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Jesus Thank Christ! You. Thank you. I you proved my point. Yeah. <laughs> so we just shifted the go. money to these guys, and they did what we did sixty years ago. Come fucking oh. on, man! Like you're not Yuri Gagarin. It's like. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's so. That's late. it. I mean that that, that yeah. that's it. I mean, as long as as, as it's uh. An American and, and that type of mindset, we can do whatever we want. We have enough money. We have enough resources. We're going to do it. He's indicative of the of the uh, great, uh, I guess, robber barons of yesteryear. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. And they take pride in that. They take pride in that. 
Yeah. I know. It's like I, Boss Tweed goes to space. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a it's a mental aspect, I, and I'm finally at peace with it. I'm I, yeah. I'm not even I'm not even like angry anymore, and my anger stemmed from I wanted to do something, but I realized right. there's nothing that 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 I can do or you guys can do or anything else. You know, it's as I say, I, I I sent this to my uh my ex sister in law. She hit me up on Facebook. Right in the messenger, you said I've been kicked off. Right, but she yeah. hit me up in the messenger. She said, "You know, like, because uh, my ex sister in law, my ex wife, sent her like a, a couple of uh, interviews, specifically with uh, Nature Bass Labs, right? Yeah. And uh, she, she, so she listened to stuff that I had said, this that, and other, and she's seeing the things that's going on now, and uh, she's like, "Wow, are you talking about this? Like, you know." 10 or 15 years ago. And I told, I told her, and I'll be honest with anybody. I was like, yeah, I said, I went through a lot of emotional upheaval. And I told her, I said, your sister's never going to go through that because to her dying day, she's never going to be able to ingest it because to ingest it like that, you're going to have to go through those cycles of ups and downs for you finally do accept that this is how it is. And there's nothing that you can do about it. And she's not willing to do that until she's forced to do it. Right. Until she rides up on the Statue of Liberty on the beach. (laughs) <laughs> no! and then she goes she goes no, no. no. <laughs> they, they ruined they killed oh. it all <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh. god you know, damn it man god damn it <laughs> that's, that, that's a good one uh, but she, I mean she, but, but I mean but she, she saw it. I said look I said I've gone through this emotional upheaval I was going through one with your sister but I told her, like, she wasn't appreciative of that. Now I'm totally cool. And one day, if she lives another 20 or 30 years, she's going to deal with it also. Yeah. How she deals with it, that's on her. I can't help her. That's where we start making the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, man, look, I'm going to te- tell you guys something. I'm going to tell you guys something. I, I, I'll tell anybody this. All I got left is I told you so. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not above it. I'm not above it. I shit. Yeah, I, I fucking told you that shit. You two all of us saw here. Yeah, you thought I was crazy back then, but yeah. you're seeing it now, and we told you. It's a good we headstone. Told I told you so. Damn, skip <laughs> Yeah, the headstone that no one's gonna look at. Right. To look at it. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I told them just throw me in the trash. Don't even worry about spending any money on me. Yeah. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm-hmm. Put, put me in a put me in a garden. Maybe I can help grow some type of foliage. Keep <laughs> keep everybody alive a little bit longer. Shit, that's about, about it. Compost for, compost forest. Yeah, <laughs> I, there you uh, go. I have a friend who is an advocate of uh, composting bodies. That's becoming a, there's a few states that are doing that now. They've legalized it. Right, so you can get composted. You know, and that's yeah. like a really good way to, to uh, go out. It's probably what's going to happen here. That's go ahead. Go ahead. I just well, we I think I've brought this up on the show before. That's a discussion around this property. Is you know like, what do we do with the bodies? You know because a lot of these people like they're not in the you know funeral homes and ambulance and hospitals and you know getting put into a box into the ground and I mean a lot of them don't have really any relatives left. Not a lot of them, but enough of them. Um, and so it's one of those things you're like, okay, now what? And, you know, a lot of them have 
do not resuscitate instructions. And, and then, I mean, this could happen any day. We have people that are in their 80s here and plenty of people that are in their 70s here and, you know, in uh, a pandemic. So it's going to be interesting to think about because we always joke like, yeah, we'll just compost each other. But, you know, where did um, where did so-and-so? I haven't seen so-and-so in a long yeah, time. Wow, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then some relative shows up. You know, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, get an urn and then just fill it with some ash you have in a bonfire and call it good. You know? That's good. That's really yeah, actually pretty fucking. Well, the other plan people had is like, just say they, they're missing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but that brings in law usually. And people are like, well, when did you see him last? And you got to get all your stories straight. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's too much. It's not worth yeah. it. too much. It's not worth it. I'll be totally honest with you guys. I mean, I just wanted to be quick. I want to go hard in the paint, hard in the paint. Then once I hit 80, if I if I'm able to get to 80, you never know. But if I was to get to 80, that's it. I wouldn't kill myself. But at that juncture, I'm like, you know what? Every day is cool, but I'm not going through any chemotherapy. I'm not doing any of this other bullshit. I'm just gonna be like, well, that's it. Time to yeah. time to pull the plug. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people need to do a better job of coming coming to terms with that. Be quite honest with you. This is the funny thing. This is the funny thing. I'm sure you guys have noticed this also. You know who are the ones that are most fearful in America to, to go to the other side? Christians. They believe yeah. that there's a heaven, right? But man, they gonna cling on to this life yeah. with every fiber of their being. But most of the time, it's the people I know that are atheist or agnostic or whatever they may be. They don't power or just don't know, don't, not concerned about it. Those ones that always go out easy. I know like, I'm yeah. good. Like, you know, I did this, that, and other, had some fun. No, I'm, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Cool. Yeah. Terminal cancer ain't no problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that, that Christian, they're going to cling on feebly to that life to the last yeah. drop, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's 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 this, you know, because I was I was raised Catholic, and so you know the whole heaven concept was with me for a long time, and and then once you know I did, I kind of did the the traditional yeah reject everything, and then you know I was um, agnostic, and then I was atheist, and you know, and then I found some spirituality, and da 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 da. And so it, it's a it's an interesting path. Although whatever path it is I took, I do feel much more comfortable with death than I did probably a decade ago and for sure 20 years ago. Yep. Um, and living here is, is also just kind of really, you know, I get, I get to see, I'm going to get to see death up close um, and have to deal with it actually emotionally and probably physically. Uh, so that's going to be a very teachable moment for me as well, because, you know, you think you, you think you got it all on lockdown and then something happens that's, you know, like, Oh shit, I had never considered that. Um, so it's going to be an interesting, you know, next decade or so here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you, and you, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of ways that people throughout history have developed practices to, Prepare themselves for death, <laughs> you know, because it is, I think, I, I mean, I, I think about death quite often, but I, I haven't, I don't personally feel close to it right now. And I think that's just because I'm like fairly young. Um, yeah. Uh, but my parents are getting older, you know, and um, 
And How I think, old are your parents, Patrick? Do you mind saying? Or oh no, that's fine. Um, they'll be turning seventy in okay. a few months. Yeah, my dad's gonna turn seventy in September. My mom in November. Um, so you know they're getting there. They're getting older, and they're they're pretty healthy. But still, I mean, yeah, it catches up to everybody, right? So, um, all roads lead to the cemetery. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a yurt. Oh, yurt, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I disrespected my man. I'm sorry. Which will be in the cemetery. When you said, when I, right when, I, when you said, I thought I was like, oh shit, the yurt. I was, I was, I was, yes, you're right. All roads lead to the yurt. Yeah. yeah. Above ground. Above and then ground. the cemetery, right? <laughs> yeah, and then the cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, yeah, I mean I, oh, well, how old are you, Patrick? I'm 32. Yeah, so like this, this, I just started thinking about this stuff in the last ten years. Like, you know, let's just say I lived to eighty, and I was like, wow, forty. Then I'm, I'm, so I'm way over halfway now. You know, if I get to eighty, you know, I'm fortunate enough to get to eighty or whatever it is. And it, you start thinking in those terms, and like, you, I mean, you double your age, you're still in your sixties. You double my age, it's, it's you're over, you know, you're over a hundred. And it's like, man, you know, and then you start thinking, boy, that first fifty-four years zipped along. Yeah, you know, I've only got what twenty five left, yeah. maybe or something. Holy sh- half of it left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forty eight. So yeah, now I feel it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the way that my I feel right now in my life is that uh, the past few years, personally speaking, has been I've I've had a lot of personal growth, like just like a, on an emotional level, um, and. I've thought a lot about like my twenties and like what that was like. So, so I'm not thinking about death because I'm still like thinking that my life is still this process of, uh, of growth and maturation and trying to be the best like version of myself and, you know, overcoming, like you know, baggage that I've carried for since I was a child and that I've, you know, that's been passed intergenerationally. So I'm like in this process of unpacking all of that. So I'm not really thinking about death um, and doing it for those reasons. I'm doing it because I still feel, even though with all the shit we were just talking about before about not having children because of what's happening, I still feel like there's, you know, there's still things that I want to do and that I'm going to be doing. Yeah. And I have a relationship that I'm really invested in and I'm, um, I'm going to be moving here probably within a few with definitely within a few months up to like Washington. And there's like, so I'm like thinking about like where I'm going to be and where I'm going to land while everything is playing out. So there's still this feeling of like life that I have. I'm not, I'm not personally thinking that much about death personally, but even so I talk a lot about it. You know, I yeah. in my podcast, I talk about death quite a bit. Um, and grief and all of this stuff. And I think as I've aged, uh, I, sound, I sound like I'm older, but I'm not. Like, I just feel like the, 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 my, my sense around these subjects around death and grief is just deepening and becoming more uh, immediately felt in my life, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. And, I, and I'm curious, like, because, you know, both of you are at least a few, a decade or a few decades older than me. So, like, I don't know. I mean, how much shit has happened between my age of 32 and like where you're at, Mike, and where oh. you're at, Morris? It's just like <laughs> a huge holy shit. You man, know what I mean? up. <laughs> Multiple lives have been lived. Like oh, in, in, yeah. a, in a way, I imagine both of you experience your own versions of death and rebirth, and like you know, like yeah. the amount of change that each of you have experienced. So, like, I don't know. I think sometimes death is 
yeah, there's the ultimate death. There's like the end point of your being as a, as a, as a human, but there's also these like mini deaths that occur along the way. Yeah. I've already had at least a couple or like one or two, um, just, just in becoming a 32 year old person. Right. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. I was 30, my first year of teaching, I was 32. So that's (laughs) right. <laughs> I, I yeah. changed my life. I was a in a I was in a various sales jobs, everything from you know uh, emergency equipment to retail, anything, anything and everything for about the first mm-hmm. career. And then I went back to school. Blah blah blah. Became a teacher. But yeah, so thirty two, fifty four. I live in a year. So there's this. Uh, yeah, you got a lot coming. Yeah, you're oh, in yeah. a year. <laughs> I mean, and you're way along further than I was at thirty two. So oh, imagine where you're going to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, right? Jesus, you'll probably be in a loincloth and a mud hut. <laughs> be hunting yeah, with a uh, spear. Right, eating berries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, between your age and where I am now, I'm 48. That has been the most up and down transitional phase. My mother was still alive. Uh, my brother was still doing good. Nah, he's home. No, nah, he's. I, we. We think he's institutionalized in Los Angeles because he mm. got homeless and he basically lost his mind. So, uh, but I, I tell anybody this, once you're in the system, it's hard to find out what happened to you unless you give consent. Mm. Right? That's the big thing. Cause then you're breaking all kinds of laws. So me and my uncle, we tried to find out where exactly he was at, but we haven't been able to establish that yet. We think we might know where he's at. We pinpointed to a certain area. But yeah. uh, we still haven't got any definitive answer, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Like, you know, I, I have an older – we have different fathers. I have, but I never claimed him. I always called him my brother. And he is. Yeah. But we do have different fathers. And his father and my father, night and day. Right. Night and day. And we had not, not, no similarities whatsoever. I used to always ask my mom, like, how could you date, like, those, like, two disparate <laughs> individuals? How, how could, is that possible? You know, yeah. but but anyhow, so uh uh <laughs> right yeah, he ended up homeless and now uh and then uh he was on the deep end. This was this is as you see me like on Facebook, right? I found all this out like we talking about my late thirties, early forties. Now I realized he was beyond help, nothing I could do for him. And uh he just went off the, the deep end. So yeah. that now 32, he was still alive and doing well, but 48. Now he's institutionalized and I probably never hear from him again. I keep answering. Like if I get a call from California, I'll answer it because it might be somebody informing me. Right. Right. Todd is dead and you're the next to Ken. Like, word. Okay. Yeah, I jump on a plane, go take care of him, and then so on and so forth. So yeah, from 32 to 48, it's been a real kick in the fucking balls, I'll tell you, on a personal level. <laughs> Sure. You know, but but on a conscious level, I'm glad that that there's nothing else come through that door. I've dealt with climate change. I've dealt with peak resources, water situation. Guy McPherson. Guy McPherson. Right. (laughs) I I dealt with everything, man. So there's nothing else coming through that door that's going that's going to face me. And there is a certain peace and calmness in that. That makes me happy. I went through all that, just like my man Andy Dufresne. And, uh, uh, <laughs> Andy Dufresne. He, he, yeah. he, when he got out, he went through that. And I always, as a metaphor, I always like to say that he went through a, 
what do you say, tan football field, link the pure shit to get right. out to the other side. Because sometimes yeah. that's what you got to do in life. So, mm-hmm. plus you need a rock hammer and a poster. Ah, damn skip, damn skip. <laughs> that, that's me. That, hey man, that, that, I'm gonna tell you something. I, 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 he may be white and and in Maine, but I'm gonna tell you, something. I'm a black man from 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 Los Angeles. Nobody else's experience. If I did have to go to prison, it would mirror his more than anybody else's is I've seen. Like on film, you know what yeah. I mean? Like just yeah, oh yeah, day, yeah. yeah. And then and the, I can so see myself like each and every day, like pounding out that and dropping the gravel. <laughs> I can yeah, so see me do, yeah. exactly, man. I, I can so see that. So I identify with him more than anybody else as far as his time is third. Right, that, that's how I would be. So, but he never lost his humanity. That's what I like about no. him. He never mm-hmm. lost his humanity. That's the most beautiful thing about. Well, I can't say that. What humanity should be, he didn't lose it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, are we going to transition into prison movies? Because my prison movie <laughs> is, is uh, it was a, Forrest might know this. Patrick, I, I'd be surprised, but uh, it was a made-for-TV movie in the late '70s called The Jericho Mile. Mm-mm. And it was oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, Peter Strauss. Pe- Peter oh, yeah. Strauss. So Peter Strauss is this inmate, and he is a great good runner, move. and they got a dirt track, and he's just like the, the, somehow the Olympic Committee finds out how good he is, and they're gonna want to give him a little bit of release to run in the Olympic trials, and uh, you kind of maybe parole him early, but it all falls through, and he he can't do it, so. The trials happen and the guys qualify for the team. But then he goes back to the yard and he's got this stopwatch and he runs a mile on his own to see if he would have made it to the team. And he's yep. running and the whole yard's kind of just coming around the track and they're like cheering him on. And then he crosses the finish line and he looks at the stopwatch and he throws yep. it over throws the prison it. wall yep. and it hits on ground oh, and yeah. shatters. Yep. And credit. Oh. That's, That's my movie, film. man. Yeah. That's a great Jerk film. So, oh, Forrest, yeah. I'm playing – I'm playing golf in on Coronado Island, which is like, you know, Richville in California, Southern California, oh, yeah, San Diego. I know, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so I'm playing golf down there with uh, two colleagues. Uh, huh? One of the colleagues was a principal. He had a house in San Diego. So we got a cheap rate, went down and played Coronado Island. But there's only three of us, so we got paired with a fourth. And uh, so we're probably eight holes in. And, you know, small chat, what do you do, blah, blah, blah. The guy produced Jericho Mile. He was the producer. Oh, get the shit out. Get the fuck out of here. I was man. like, you gotta be shitting me. He goes, Yeah, nobody knows that movie. I'm like, I do. Oh, yeah. No, that, that was a classic. That's back when they used to make good television movies. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's great. I mean, the existential aspects of it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I identify with him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like how he was, even as a kid. I mean, I saw that. Uh, I was probably like around, that's probably why I'm fucked up. I watched that like when I was like eleven or twelve or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But you, you know, I never forget this though. Have you ever seen uh, "In the Heat of the Night"? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Patrick probably has it. Patrick, <laughs> you gotta work on your movie skills, son. That's what we got. Like, we got drill this Yeah. But, Wait, um, oh, I'm not talking about the series. series. Not talking about the series either. We're talking about the no, movie. No, I'm talking about the, the movie. Uh, with Carol Connor. <laughs> okay. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, y'all, need to give me a, y'all need to give me a list of movies to watch. I think that's what like, we're was the cop, Rod Steiger? Was he the cop? Rod Steiger, exactly. He got an Oscar yeah. for his role. But here's yeah, the thing, yeah. though. My father, I remember I saw it, and then I saw my father on the weekend. And I was like, well, why wasn't Sidney Poitier? Why didn't he get the Oscar? He deserved just as much as him. And then my dad was like, no, 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 no. He said, Rod Steiger deserved it. And <laughs> it wasn't until I got 
older later where I understood what he was going what he was saying. Yeah. If you look at the movie, Sidney Poitier was just playing Sidney Poitier. Yeah. He was playing Sidney Poitier. How you always is this distinguished guy in most of his movies, that's what he played. They called me the Mister. <laughs> the tips. Yeah. Exactly. So that that, so that most that's people know that line from they, most people know that line from The Lion King now. What? Really? Because in The Lion King, they goes, they call me Mr. Pig. It was the fucking warthog character. Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. You're right. Yeah. Fucking A. <laughs> like everybody in that generation is like, fucking oh, yeah, a. that's from The Lion King. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Shit. Damn. You're, no, you're right. But I'm going to tell you something. I didn't think about that until you just said it just yeah. now. Right? Wow, I'm learning but but r- really fast, I mean, Rod Steiger, Rod Steiger, he played a racist cop in, in Mississippi. And uh, I realized later when my dad was saying, he said, like, it wasn't a stretch for Sidney Poitier to play that role. I mean, it was basically him being a cop in Philadelphia. But if you watch Rod Steiger in there, I think Rod Steiger came from, like, New Jersey or some shit like that. He was definitely not from the South. And he laid that role out so well, and my dad was like, yeah, he reminded me of all the cops that pulled me over <laughs> in my life. It's like, that's that motherfucker right, right there. You know, yeah. and so, and I understood like there are other things outside of, I'm not just saying being black, but I thought I mean, you know, just another, da, 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 da. like, I, I really fast, I tell you something that happened, and I'm gonna write about this on Facebook. I almost messed up uh, in, um, I guess, determining why something had happened. I don't know if you guys know Tavis Smiley. He, he's yeah. like, uh, yeah. yeah, he's a, uh, media host. guy. Yeah. Talk show host. Thank you. And, uh, uh, what's my man, uh, Rose from a uh, PBS who got fired for sexual harassment. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Rose. Rose. Charlie, Charlie Rose got fired for, for, uh, sexual harassment. And then Tavis Smiley got fired for sexual harassment also. But Tavis right. Smiley ended up having to pay back PBS like, it's a few million dollars if I remember correctly. It might be one and a half, wow. something like that. But I, at first, I was like, "Oh man, they fucking over Tavis Smiley, man. They didn't do that to Charlie Rose." Then, because I'm older, and before I went off the rails, I did my proper <laughs> investigation. I like my father probably like that. That's what I'm talking about. That's what you need to do. Think about what you're doing for you. Just run off at the fucking mouth. And what happened is that Tavis Smiley fought against PBS. Charlie Rose didn't do nothing. He's like, "Okay, I'm out." Cool. I'm 70 years old. Uh, I'm go hang out, do whatever. He tried right. to fight it. So when he did that and they went to court, PBS was like, oh, okay, well, we're going to get you on breach of contract for you know, right. all this shit that you were doing, having sex with your assistants or whatnot. So <laughs> the judgment came against him. So that's the thing, man. And, and, and it's kind of like even the Rona and things like that. I don't like to go off half cocked because <laughs> until you have all the information in front of you, you're going to work off of emotion. And if my father told me one thing, he taught me this, like, you said, FP, don't ever work off of emotion because it's never going to work. It's always going to fuck you up. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's good advice. It is. Because, uh... oh, yeah. I mean, my dad, my, I really fast. My dad was like the Unabomber, right? <laughs> Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> right? He just couldn't relate to, he's just like, I was just saying, you can't, he can't relate to, like, he couldn't relate to, to the real world. I can barely uh, do it. I right. can barely do it. You know, I mean, I'm serious. I can't make I mean, bombs, I though. That's my problem. Get... <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that kind of skill set. I'm like, Jesus, I'm mad like that, but fuck, I can't put that shit together. I'll blow my head off. <laughs> yeah. But I will say this, fellas. Uh, 
there's no doubt that we're going to continue this. In fact, I mean, I'm going to start dropping a video on probably <clears throat> YouTube. As I said, I've been recording myself, we're critiquing myself. I know you do this better, do that better, so on and so forth. I'm going to start dropping a video every wow. Sunday, I said. Uh, I'm, I, I establish a, a reading group with a couple guys on Facebook. Uh, I'm going to start blogging again. I mean, I'm about to go all in. And the fact, man, I'm at such a calm and peace mindset now where it's like, you know what? Just enjoy it. Enjoy my time talking with you guys. You know, like, I'm not here because of, 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 of Jeff. Jeff was spearheaded this, of course, but I'm here because I care about you guys. Yeah. Right? So let, let's say Jeff had died. That'd be very sad. We will mourn his death, but life, life has to go on, man. You know? Yeah. Even if you're the Unabomber. <laughs> Even if you're the Unabomber. Hey, man. He, he dropped, he dropped some precious shit. <laughs> his work yeah, I mean, you know, I obviously, you know, his, his the the plan he was trying to carry out was was no, 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 yeah. shoddy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even thinking about it, it's like the guy was really, really intelligent, wise in some ways. But like, what, did he really think like you know, blowing up so and so and so and so and so and so was going to start some sort of fucking revolution? I mean, <laughs> does he not know this culture yeah. any better? That's just fucking cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then on the other hand, man, I mean, if you look at what happened on January 6th, right? You say the same thing about those people. Because most of them. Sure, sure. I mean, these were middle class people. These were like professionals. These weren't like yeah. the dregs. You were no, like, these guys every were time filming I, themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't get more stupid than that. But I mean, for most of the people I, I've seen on there, man, they've been like either ex military. Yeah. But doing well. Like, nobody's been like, oh, well, we couldn't find these dudes because he's homeless on the street. No, they all had homes. They all had money. They had one cat, I think, like Wisconsin, man. He was like a, a business executive. And, oh, yeah. Know, I think this, he ended up losing his job or whatever. Because, yeah. Serious weight there, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, like, that's that's the thing. It's like uh, uh, when middle class of white America is like this, you know it's not going to get any better. No. Right? Yeah. Let's just go to space. We'll feel better. He'll send some rich guys to space, or they'll send themselves, and we'll applaud them, and they'll throw a couple hundred million at some people, so we all go, "Oh, look what they did!" Yeah. Well, I know, like we recorded an episode of of this podcast right after the the Capitol fiasco siege thing. Yeah, I included a part of that, and um, I didn't share it in our group. I was going to do that, and I forgot to do that, but. I don't know, Forrest, you know, like I, um, been doing this series with last born and, um, taking previous interviews I've done over the previous hundred episodes and like, I've broken it up into seven parts. And, and so I did one, um, about the cat. Well, it was about the Capitol siege, but it was more about like the trajectory of, of the United States and fascism basically. Um, so I have like 10 different interviews in there and I included our, a part of our discussion that we all had. Um, and it's interesting listening to it because as soon as I released that part, uh, just this week, um, there's like now, uh, you know, there's like kind of this weird little industry now of former, uh, aides or cabinet members of Trump's, uh, administration who are coming out and they're like releasing books and they're like, man, like Trump was off the fucking, he was just, he was just bat shit crazy look at all the shit we documented him saying and uh you know what i mean like it's a whole thing and it's it, that's kind of its own thing it's worth critiquing but 
think it was like General Milley was talking about how close Trump was to like trying to get the military to to instigate some yeah. kind of coup, you know? Yeah. Um, and in a way, like we were all kind of talking about this shit, you know, and it was interesting that now the me- the media is starting to to pay attention or like talk about it in those uh, in that framing. And it's like, oh. yeah, like we all kind of knew that that was happening. We were it's not about, about being braggadocious about the fact that we can see the writing on the wall and we talk about it. But finally, people seem to catch up like people are talking about climate change, like, oh, shit, lots of stuff's happening this year. This is unusual. Um uh, you know, the Capitol siege was a part of a broader uh, effort to undermine a uh, uh, an, elect- an election and uh, to put Trump in as sort of an autocrat, you know, and all of this stuff. And it's like now people are just sort of coming out with the information. But we all kind of saw it. You know, we all saw it before it was even being discussed like that uh, in the in the mainstream media. So. Well, you you guys saw it. I thought that was people were doing CrossFit up the wall with the propelling and stuff like True. that. You did, you did think right. that. Yeah. <laughs> so kudos to you two. I'm still catching up. I'm like, wow, right. what the fuck's going on? No. <laughs> oh, another plane ran into a building. Weird. <laughs> yeah. But well, I'm gonna tell you something, man. I I, I will say this, and, and this is what I posted on January 6th. A lot of times, people will read what I say, and then, oh man, that's just so horrific. This that, and the other. But the last four years told me more about white America in general than it did Trump. I know he's a piece of shit. I mean, I've known him a piece of shit for, for years. You know what I mean, you're talking about 1980. I, this is a piece of shit. He's dumb. He's ignorant. I've seen enough interviews with the guy over the years. Where I'm like, this dude can't even articulate anything at all, let alone be president and be able to run anything that's worthwhile on this planet. Right? I already knew that. But it was the way that general white society just lionized this kid right yeah. i was like and and, and I, what i said I, I said like this when when january 6 jumped off i did put this on facebook i said from an ethnic aspect of nothing else everything that you've seen today gives uh credence to to, to what it is i wrote i wasn't even shocked and you look like how could i in, in all honesty how could i feign being shocked when you guys have known me all this time and what I've said about this, that, and the other that's going on. I know so, the reason I said it's because most people may think I'm talking about talking out of my ass. But mm-hmm. if my father taught me to be to be anything else, he taught me to be observational. Right. Mm-hmm. So I observe, I don't even say too much. Look this, hear this. Like I said, I I just look, going to people's houses, don't say too much. Like, okay, huh? They say and most people they wanna have the cathartic aspect of being able to say stuff in their personal life that they might not even say when they're at the job or something like that. So you really want to know people, know, meet them at the bar or at their house or just out and about, and then you get the real, the real person. And that was indicative of the boiling over that's been happening in the past few years as even things are getting much more stressed economically for middle-class white people in this world. Right. I think that's what you saw more so than anything else is that that American dream that they thought where where they might even have a house and they might be on time with their payments. But it's becoming a lot more of a struggle is not the struggle that they saw from their parents who passed away now or grandparents. You know, talking about after the World War Two generation, when things started going just like on an upward tick here, especially for white America. 
up until I say the 1980s, that's when it started to get frayed. But now it's getting so intense that middle-class white America, they, they, they're pissed off because they, they don't even have the savings that they once had. I, I mean, to be quite honest with you, as you guys know, uh, most of the wealth generation in this world is in your is in your house. With white people, it's it's in their houses, right? They don't then they can take out a second and get a loan, this and the other. But you still have to pay that money back, or you won't have anything to leave your kids. And it wasn't the same as when your parents left and their house might have been paid off. You sold it, split the cash between you and your siblings. But they're like, man, I'm underwater on this house. I got a second mortgage. And I don't think I'm be able to pay that off in another attempt. In a sense, so that's the strain that you're starting to see uh, middle-class white America. Because really fast, uh, um, the woman who got shot uh, trying to get through the door on January 6th uh, when she got into the Capitol building, she got shot. If you read her story, she was in debt up to her eyeballs, right? She got a loan out for like a pool. Uh, cleaning company and this, that, and other. And she she was like thousands of dollars in debt. Her being in that place was indicative of her financial situation mm-hmm. more than anything else. Because we live in a capitalist system. So at the end of the day, if you're doing well financially, you're not going to rock the boat. All those people there were stressed out in some way, shape, form as far as their money situation is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, all that white anxiety gets... Uh channeled and directed by a kind of um like the trump the trump train but also just the whole conservative media apparatus and it's just directing all of that anxiety frustration and anger and and making it all about culture war bullshit and they thought that they they followed what trump said that somehow it would lead to some I don't know, some cathartic kind of uh, resolution or something. I don't know. It, it's really interesting. I think that they kind of, they, they were like running in on like a fever dream. And mm. it, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 I pay attention to what conservative media is talking about. I pay attention to how they operate. It's a very well-oiled machine at this mm-hmm. point. It has been for a while, but like you can see like, for instance, like I started hearing a few months ago about uh, critical race theory becoming this umbrella term to describe <laughs> why every why why white kids are feeling so bad about being white, you know. And it's like it's a direct response to what happened last year with the uprisings. It's like it, it's just interesting. I'm seeing just how this whole media uh, <laughs> media apparatus works, and how Trump now has kind of you know he he is like kind of taken over the Republican Party and. You're just seeing how it how it works, and it's just it, white anxiety is a very palpable, very um, potent force in this country, and they understand how to re, how to direct it and redirect it towards certain goals and aims. And uh, you know, I think yeah, what happened on January sixth was just kind of an explosive example of that. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Well, the precursor to that was what happened in in Michigan, right? Remember when they went into the state house and nothing happened to those yeah. people. They just walked in with guns and all that shit. Right, and you know, right. the cops were just standing there. So that's the thing. They didn't nip it in the bud then. So they were like, man, fuck that shit. Then in fact, they did it in Wisconsin also when uh what's my man it was uh Scott Walker. Scott Walker. I remember yeah, when they, they went to the to, yeah, yeah, they went there and nothing happened. So of course, when you've seen this done time and time again over the past few years, 
you like, okay, well, fuck it. They didn't do it at the state level. So fuck it. Let's do it at the federal level. Let's, let's, let's just mob this place. Yeah. Right? Because they thought that nothing was going to happen. They were going to go in, show their ass, the same as they've done in these other places, and, and nothing was going, going to happen. Now, I am watching to see, like, what kind of senses they're getting. And right, right. now, it's just a, a, a slap on the wrist. Because they don't, they don't, sit, they don't want to use one word. They don't use one word that um, they are averse to using. I don't give a damn if it's uh, uh, right, uh, mainstream media, left, or liberal, whatever, whatever it is you want to describe as far as the mainstream. They never use this one word, treasonous. Right. If that would have been a whole bunch of black folks, or even non-Anglos, oh I'll say that, ran their ass nah. up in there. Not to even mention they would have been shot the hell up. That, that, that'd be, that's a given. But they would have, everybody would have been using one word. Treason. Treason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, and I, see, that's the thing. Like, I can talk about these things now, and it doesn't really like, because I'm going to get up from here. I'm going to go run, right? <laughs> I'm going to do my hour, you know, give up, because you talk about getting older. I'll tell anybody. In fact, I heard Questlove on NPR as I was heading home today, and I, I was listening to him, and he said the exact same thing it is that I said. He said in your 20s, it was, uh, especially because Questlove is black. He's like, he said, like, man, like, you used to always be afraid. Like, I didn't get shot at the club. Like, you went to the club on a Friday, Saturday, you get shot. You're like, had a good time and nothing jumped off and nothing, nothing went down. But he was saying, is like, that was the thing of youth. Like, somebody might have OD'd. Uh, somebody might have uh, uh, got hit by a drunk driver. Or because of where I grew up, I mean, you could have got caught up in some gang violence. You might have been gang banging. I could have been shot at any given time when I was growing up in uh, 1980s Los Angeles. Not to to blow myself up because where I lived and then also the school I went to, it wasn't that gang infested. It wasn't like really, yeah. really bad. But yeah, and so it was a possibility that somebody could have been throwing some shots at somebody else. I caught one and then somebody called my mom up and said, like, Forrest is dead. So we've always lived with it. I mean, as youth, especially in the black community where I grew up, uh, you you always like, man, whew, I made it another day. But now it's like, it's not even like the issues of youth where I'm wearing red and I get shot by some crib who think that you know, I'm not even a game man, shoot me, shoot me in the head. Now it's like, okay, well, people are dying of cancer, heart hmm. disease, all that different stuff like that there. And I've taken that into account as far as how I live my life. So, I mean, I'm talking about these things, but I just don't allow it to me personally anymore. You know, were you, but back to a, a little, uh, um, were you in high school when Boys in the Hood came out? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, no, no, I, I apologize. No, 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 no. Apologize. I was, I was in college. Okay. I was no, in college. I apologize. You, you I was, I was yeah, in LSU. Were... I, I, that was my, that was my second year there. I apologize. Okay. My second year there. Because I, when I saw it, and to be quite honest with you, it, my experience growing up was like the lead characters, right? Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to Morehouse and all this other stuff. So his life mirrored mine more so than anything else. Like even one time, like these gangsters, like they rolled up on him and they pulled a shotgun out and he couldn't say nothing. And you can't beat, right. you know what I'm saying? You're like, you, 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 can't, you can't win. Right. You know, you try like you, you might be like, man, fuck you. And you might even be, I mean, there's a lot of guys' asses that I could kick back. It's kind of like prison. I, I said that if anything, and I understand it from an existential aspect, and that's why I, however it is it ended up with my father, the only my ability to understand this is because of him. 
it's like an open air prison where I grew up. Mm. Right? Like where you got you know all these cats, different cliques, Mexican, black, everybody beefing on each other, this, that, and other. And you just like not joining up with no gang. So as I said, it, it reminded me of uh, Andy Dufresne. If nothing else, yeah. not the same time as Stir, but even just like growing up, I always had to walk my own road. Right, yeah. you know, I, I got fights, sometimes I got my ass kicked. Sometimes I won, you know, yeah. but that being said, it's always been just like all this back and forth. So that mirrored my my existence growing up back there. Right. But at this age, you know, I mean I'm not if I I've gone back there, I'm 48 years old. And it's not even a young gangster, like they might have raced me when I was a kid. Now I'm like, you know, I'm daddy. Or yeah. <laughs> so I just go back there because because a lot of my friends' parents, and I'm not going to neglect seeing the people I love because of whatever's going on. Plus, also, man, it's like this old dude, and you know, I'm not. There's no old gangsters. There's only three things that ever happens to gangsters growing up. And I know this for a fact. You're in dead jail, or you get your shit straight. Shit yeah. straight in quotations. Or you become just like a regular moan, like, nah, I gave all that stuff up like years ago. You know, that's yeah. it. One of the three. Dead, jail, jail, dead, or you win dead, whatever it is you were doing with your life. So but uh yeah, but Boys in the Hood, yeah, that 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 uh resonated with me. I cried during that movie. I, uh, I cried. That's a tough movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I it was really back then because it was so close to when I was right. Dead. That's why I wanted to Growing know. Like were you, yeah, were you there when the movie came out? <clears throat> oh yeah i wasn't there when the riots happened uh yeah you know I was, I was still i was still at lsu but yeah i went there and shit was burnt out i went home that summer and shit was burnt out it was messed up man and my people would think it was uh well, i'm not gonna say the streets because nobody would really know where it's at but uh one of my one of my partners uh he told me like man yeah they had it all blocked off around here so what he was saying was like they contained it so it would not reach like to any white areas. Right. You know what I mean? When you see, like you saw like they were doing all this stuff, but all that was in South Central, but they had cordoned off the city to make sure that it wasn't going to migrate anyplace else other than in the, in the inner city. Oh. Yeah. That's serious redlining. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't nothing but a word. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But now, I mean, even with that, man, Really fast, I, I want to hear you guys' thoughts. But you know, like when I went back there for my dad's, you know, when I found out he was dead, I went back there. Yeah, I tell you by this, even besides the fact that my father was dead and I didn't know it till 30 years after the last time that I saw him, the thing that always resonates with me there was the poverty, like the homeless situation and how the city just looked run the fuck down. You know, and I don't think I, I, in fact, I'm almost certain I would not have been able to recognize it. It's kind of like when you uh, hadn't seen somebody in 20 years, mm. you know, like, oh, shit, man, you old, even though you've gotten older also, you're like, damn, this dude got older too, or this woman got older too. And that's how it was, because when I went back, it had been years since I had been to Los Angeles, and then when I got back, man, it's it's decrepit, it's morbid. I don't know why people can't see it, to be quite honest with you. I think that's just the decay that we're seeing all across America. It's gonna get worse and worse and worse, and that's where the anger stems from. Those people running into, to I, I guarantee you this, fellas. I guarantee if you sat down with those people on an individual level and you broke it down to them, or you broke them down to their asses, they like, I'm afraid. I admit it, I'm afraid. 
Yeah. I don't know how I can leave for my kids. I'm stressed out financially. I don't know what's going to happen to me. That if you break break them down on an individual level, not in a group dynamic like that. You break, you sit them down in a chair. You break them down to their essence. They all admit it. I'm just afraid. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, people don't want to admit. I'm not. I'm just afraid. I mean, obviously, even people that weren't even there, like you know, there's there's this constant underlying fear within most people I meet. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's you know, bills or you know, stress of the job or kids or whatever the hell it is. It's, there's this fear of, I don't know how to even explain it. It's a, it's a vibrational level more than anything that I noticed, not necessarily the words, although those come pretty obvious after, you know, I've lived out here a while you go back, you're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> people are worried about that. Here. Um, but it's, I, I notice it, it really, and I had to go through it myself. I've said it a million times. Like, you know, I, the first five years after I left my job, I was worried about money. Uh, that's the, my biggest concern was watching the money we had left just dwindle and not knowing exactly what we were going to do or how we were going to quite live yet. But my wife had it. She was on chill the whole time. She's like, is this going to work out? You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. And then, yeah, it did. So, but it was that fear that I had to get over. And I could tell, I, you know, you think you stripped yourself with all this programming and conditioning. And it's like, my God, once I got off that, I was like, you look back at it, like we do in most things. And you're like, really? That's what that was all about? And it seems so obvious sometimes about certain things, but you got to go through that process of just sort of facing that demon or whatever that beast is. And it's, you know, sometimes it's something as simple as debt. Other times it's something that's a little more challenging like death, but. Yeah. yeah there's a, a lot of layers that have to be. Yeah. Still. I know. <laughs> yeah, still, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I just oh, pull yeah. them all the time. I'm like, Oh, I'm there. No, you're not even fucking close. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't think that there's a, uh, uh, a week, not a day, but there's a week that goes by that I haven't been triggered by like something that I've seen that reminded me of my mom or my dad or something like that. And I might tear up a little bit of this, that, and other. And I realized that that's just going to have, that's how it's going to be. I don't wallow in it, you know, but that's the way it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, those people that you have those emotional attachments to, like, you know, we all going to leave this earth, but that's like even Patrick, you might. If something happened to you guys, then I'm going to cry. I mean, I'll freely admit that, right? Like, I'm going to cry. It's going to upset me. And it might be like where I go and I listen to one of our discussions. If you guys aren't around, like, in a year, I'll listen to it. And it's going to pain me. But sometimes you just, to be quite honest with you, I'm glad that I still cry and I feel that because that reminds me that I'm not inhuman. I love right. people. And things of that nature. So uh, the day that I can't cry or feel love for those people who are here and aren't here, then that's when dead inside. I might as well just die physically because I'm already dead emotionally, right? Yeah. 